you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free and we'd love to have you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our Parsha class. Good to see everybody. Uh, we've been off for two weeks. We usually take the last and the first week of the calendar year off. And that's great. It's nice to have a break, but I always miss it. I hope you miss it, too. I feel a little unmoored without like one 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 uh, solid leg of the week in the in the in the Parsha. Um, and uh, and in the gap, in the interim, it was particularly painful to be unmoored for the last Parsha of Bereshit and the first Parsha of Shemot, ending Genesis, beginning Exodus. So we've gone through a transformation like a, in all kinds of ways. Um, we've flipped the calendar. We've flipped the, the Sefer, the book of, of Torah that we're reading. Um, and, you know, and the world uh, uh, continues to transform as well. And so we're, we, I always feel this transition when we move into Exodus suddenly feels like, whoa, you know, and inaugurations are in, 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 in the in month of Exodus and insurrections are in the month of Exodus and, you know, things happen in January. So I just feel like, yeah, wild stuff to suddenly try to tackle once again, the, the greatest story ever told. Um, so instead of trying to tackle it, which is usually my if I if I err, I err on the side of just trying of get trying to get too big picture. Um, I want to uh, for as we re-enter um, our our communal study and 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 re-enter our Torah study in in the midst of the book the book of Exodus. I want to do that. I want to just be in the midst and to take us to have the kind of discussion that we sometimes do, which is a real parshanut discussion, meaning. Um, uh, we're going to study the the commentators and their their um, magnifying lens look at one very particular phrase in the Torah in this week's parsha. We are in Parsha Vaera. It is the second parsha of uh, of the book of Exodus of, of Shemot, and the book of Exodus moves very very fast. It's like Moses is all um, is 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 heading back to Egypt to liberate, born and heading back to liberate the the people all in last week's parsha. Um, there's like, you know, a, a century of, of, of history suddenly zooms by. And then, um, now we're Mo Moshe's in that dialogue with Pharaoh and dialogue, <laughs> confrontation, whatever, let my people go. And, um, and the plagues are going to start already in this, you know, uh, so, um, in this week's Parsha. So, um, 
Moshe's just gone to Pharaoh to speak uh, to Pharaoh, and initially it hasn't gone well. Okay, so um, the uh, the 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 phrase that we're going to look at today, uh, we'll we'll go we'll take a, 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 a we'll take a, a, another little running start into the moment uh, in the story. But the phrase that we're going to look at today is a very potent uh, a, a phrase that always catch, catches my attention. Um, the phrase that we're going to look at today is kotzer ruach, kotzer ruach, which I would probably most immediately translate as shortness of breath. Okay, so we're going to think about the shortness of breath that the Israelites were experiencing in just a moment. Um, okay, let's uh, let's just take a pause here for uh, um, announcements and uh, and uh, we'll say a blessing over our Torah study. Um, one announcement that I've been making all along. But I really feel this week, um, you know, these, I'm writing these weekly uh, Divrei Torah um, for Hadar. Uh, I work for uh, Hadar now, and um, I'm fortunate to still do this class with Ikar. Um, but I'm writing these weekly Divrei Torah, and the class and the essay, here, here's the here's the, the sign up, and the, uh, and I'll, then I'll just give you this week's um, the class and the and the and the and the Dvar Torah. I sort of committed to not being the same thing. I'm not just going to regurgitate the material, but they're always in conversation because I've been thinking about um, something enough the week before to write a um, an essay on it. And so I do. If you're if you're if you have the time, not just because I'm self promoting, but because like if you're really into this stuff, this study, the, reading the essay. Um, that I write in the week will often inform what we're going to talk about in this class, and it's just more more parsha. So if you like <laughs> if you like this stuff, which is why I'm here, um, then maybe you'll want more parsha. This is this week's um, uh, essay, and I'll, uh, I'll I'll I'm gonna start. I'm gonna pick up on some of the themes that that I that I wrote about there. Um, so anyway, that's just a plug for the Dvar Torah. It can be helpful background for this class and, you know, whatever. I also I put a lot into it and I'm into it. And I, you know, that's why we're here, right? I like this stuff. Okay. Um, I think that's it. Um, what else can I say? I'll be in San Francisco next. I feel like <laughs> it's like tour dates. I'll be in San Francisco next Shabbat. So if you're in San Francisco um, at the kitchen, um, come say hi. All right, let's take a, a um, just a, a breath here on topic and just breathe. And um, I, I probably just need to take a couple breaths. And then we'll say a, uh, a blessing, just uh, remembering that what we do is, is sacred. Uh, it's fascinating and it's cool and it's exciting and it's dramatic, but it's also, it's, it's sacred. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshonu mamitzvotav etzivanu, asok b'divrei Torah. Okay, so here we go. Uh, let's get right into it and um, and and look at this phrase, shortness of breath. And I must say, I say I say this sometimes. I'm I, I'm very well prepared for class, but I like to actually admit when I'm not so well prepared because what I'm saying there is not that I haven't thought about the class, but that I this is my first time really thinking through this, and it's different. I I, I personally in my study of the Torah um some people will tell you different like first you just look at the plain text and you do all before you ever consult the commentators but I always go to the commentators first because they are the guides that help me figure out oh where I'm going to go look in the text later and I have 
ideas now from studying the commentators this week um, where I might go and think about, I want to see where this phrase repeats in, in various ways throughout um, Tanakh, throughout the, the, but I haven't done that yet. I mostly just looked to, and what we're going to do today is mostly just look at the commentators and just some fascinating uh, attempts to interpret this phrase, which seems so potent and is yet a, a little opaque, as we'll soon see. Okay, so just uh, one more sentence of introduction, which is that Moshe has gone to Pharaoh to say, let, you know, um, let us go. And Pharaoh says, are you kidding? <laughs> who, who the hell are you? And in fact, I'm, I'm going to double the labors of the, uh, of the Israelites because you're making trouble. You're like, this is, this is, this is not good for business. You know, the, <laughs> you're unionizing <laughs> and we're going to bust the union, you know, it's like that, like, so failure. That's the, the, the first Parsha of, of the book of Exodus ends in failure which is, you know, ugh. um, uh, okay. So Moshe is frustrated and Moshe says to God, what, like, what is, this is not working. You sent me here. This is not working. And, he, and what Moshe says, which is interesting is, um, since I came to speak in your name, it's only gotten worse. It's only gotten worse. So what's happening? And the name mention of a name is a kind of seems to like there's some conversation there this is what i wrote about in the essay but not we don't need it for today but i just context to to to, to tell you why our pasha begins with god talking about god's name that's that's the opening god says let me tell you who i am and that's and 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 that's the information that Moshe gets. And soon enough, we're going to get to our potent phrase. Our potent phrase is in the ninth verse, but we're just going to start at the beginning of the parsha, which actually starts in the chapter six, verse two. So we're going to read eight verses in. Okay. And here is your source sheet for today. Okay. And let's take a look. Okay. Um, this is the opening of the Parsha, and it is called Vaera, so you can expect that the word Vaera, here it is, to come along soon. Vaera means I appeared, and I appeared. Um, God spoke to Moses, and, and I should say the names, I should pronounce them, because it's important which names we're using here. Elohim said to Moses, uh, Moshe, and said to him, I am Adonai. Adonai is the, we don't even write it out. Look, I haven't even written it out here. It's the yud Hey vav Hey name, the famous name, the, the what they call the tetragrammaton, the four-letter name of God. I don't, we use it in our prayers. We pronounce it Adonai, which is just a way of saying my, my master, but we don't actually ever say the name. It's so holy, okay? So that's it. God is saying, I am Adonai. Okay, that's, that's God's name. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, but I did not make myself known to them by my name, Adonai. Okay? Now, now, that's weird. It's just a pause to say, and the whole essay that I wrote this week is about this. It's That's weird because... We have seen that name before. It seems like what God just said is, I'm giving you a new name. You're Moshe. I'm going to tell you the real name of God. This is the name of God. Um, Abraham never even knew this name. But if we go back and we look at the story of Abraham, Abraham was using that name all the time. And so there's something about this that's, that doesn't make sense. Um, 
we could have a field day with it. Docu uh, 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 biblical critics have a field day with it. Kabbalists have a field day. What, are they, what is he talking about here? Not important for our uh, purposes, that whole discussion. But notice that what, Mo what God is saying to Moshe is, this is my name, it's my sacred name, and this is an important revelation. I'm giving you a new insight into an aspect of myself. And then God continues to say, um, you know, things that you should say to the people. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. I have now heard the moaning of the Israelites because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the Israelite people, I am Adonai. Okay, this is the big phrase. I am Adonai. Tell them. That's me. I'm Adonai. I will free you from the labors of the Egyptians and deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and ex through extraordinary chastisements. I'm reading through all of this because this is it. This is like what you want to hear. This is the Exodus. This is God is going to deliver the people. And I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. Uh, this is <laughs> literally, this is the like, this is the four cups language. Okay. Galti, lakachti. Um, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I, Adonai, am your God who freed you from the labors of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land which I pledged to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I, Adonai, there it is again. It's three times, three times God said, Ani Adonai, Ani Adonai, Ani Adonai. I am Adonai. That's who I am. Don't get it twisted. Okay? Fair enough. That's the opening to the Parsha, that's the big speech. Go to and tell the people, tell the people. And now comes our phrase, okay? Now comes our phrase. And it's a difficult moment to read because you have a sense of the, of the you, you have a sense of how hard this phrase is, but it's not so clear what it means. So let's look at now the next verse, the one that I've been building up to. Vaidaber Moshe Kain El Israel. But when Moshe told this to the Israelites, Veloshamu el Moshe, um, they would not or could not or did not, I don't know how to translate that, they would not listen to Moshe, they did not listen to Moshe. Mikotzer ruach umeavodakasha. Mikotzer ruach umeavodakasha. Here's the words in Hebrew. Mikotzer ruach, which is because of shortness of breath. Kotzer is shortness. And um, breath is ruach, and um, because of heavy labor, avodakosha, heavy labor, difficult labor, difficult labor. Um, and let me just say before uh, we we pause, and um, let me just say uh, it's shortness of breath, but ruach is a big word. <laughs> the first time that ruach was used was early, early, early on in the Torah, right? Um, the, what is it? The, uh, the, the, the second verse, third verse, Ruach Elohim al the spirit of God hovered above the, the waters. So Ruach means spirit. It also means wind. It also means breath. It's some kind of intangible air thing, but, um, early on it's used as a kind of divine trait. Sometimes the Ruach, um, um, Chaim, the spirit of life that animates us. So ruach is a loaded word. It could mean a lot of things. Kotzer does mean cut off or short. Okay. So shortness of spirit or shortness of breath and heavy labor. And so the uh, Moshe told all this to the people, but the people couldn't hear him or they didn't hear him or they wouldn't hear him because of their 
shortness of breath. Okay. Now, mostly I just want to spend the rest of our time thinking about, well, what does that mean? They didn't hear him or they couldn't, they couldn't hear him because of their shortness of breath. And obviously on some level, the verse gives us a clue and heavy labor. Oh, so that I'm panting from heavy labor. Are these the same? But then we usually have a principle in the Torah that if there are two reasons given, they represent two separate things. There's, there's the heavy labor, but there's also the, 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 the shortness of breath. And I want to think about that. Um, shortness of, of breath with you all. We're going to move through the commentators. Uh, I want to pause mostly here right now, just so that we have a chance to like join into the conversation and think about this. We're, again, the basic question is, what does that mean that they could not hear what Moshe said? And now we have, we read what, what Moshe said, because it's the same thing God said to say, presumably. And um, I'll just give you, just so you have a feel for, I, I before I'm going to give you one of the commentators before we before we pause. Just to have a feel for how the commentators are also grappling. Well, what is this kotzeruach? What is this shortness of breath? And Rashi, we always start with Rashi. Rashi is our most famous and um, classic commentator, um, 12th century um, um, medieval French medieval commentator. And here is what he says. He says, ruach, okay? If one is in pain or anguish or constriction, and this word meitzar is related, it's over here to the word for uh, Egypt, Mitzrayim. So there's a little bit of a hint there. Anyone who's in meitzar, anyone who's in Egypt, anyone who's in pain, one's breath comes in short gasps. Rucho unishmato. Although he says his ruach and his breath comes in, is, is short. And he can't draw long breaths. Okay. So this is good because Rashi uh, gives us basically just the shot, the basic understanding of the verse. It means shortness of breath. You know how it is when, you know, you you're, you're gasping for breath. That's where they were at. And But Rashi adds a little bit of interpretation to it because he says, what causes you to gasp for breath? Heavy labor, right? No, pain. Pain causes you to gasp for breath. And then you start to feel that constriction. So now, okay, how would I read that back into the verse? How What is Rashi trying to tell me about their experience? What is it that they they experience? What is it that, okay, I'm, you can answer that question or you can answer the bigger question. I want to invite people now in to start thinking about what does it mean that the people could not hear Moshe? They could not and the, hear, understand, process, um, listen to, hearken to, right? All these words are in translation, but they couldn't do it because they were short of breath. Okay, I saw Ariella's hand go up. So Ariel, what do you think? Well, I, my immediate reaction was the narrowness of Egypt. Like um, Egypt was a place of hard labor, of constriction. And that was immediately what came into my mind, the constriction. Like when you're gasping for breath, it's a constriction. Okay, great. Thank you, Ariella. Let, let's just, let's do this a little, I, I just pointed at it, um, and some of us know this Hebrew well, and some of us probably um, don't know it very well, but 
it's I, I'd like to just it's nice to just see it in the Hebrew so that you know, even if you don't read Hebrew, you can actually just see the connections being made. So this word here is the word for um pain, meitzar, or it could mean constriction. It actually more precisely means something like um tightness and constriction, that kind of sharp pain. But um, if you, uh, let's see if I can do this correctly here. Yeah, if you did this, oops, that would be Mitzrayim. That word right there would be, um, this is not with the, those vowels, but that that word would be Egypt, which makes Egypt the, um, the place of pains, the place of, we actually more often say the place of narrowness. Often you'll hear people speak kind of poetically about Egypt was the place of constriction, the place of narrowness, right? Min hametzar, I call out to you from um, the the, constri the the constricted places, anani uh, bamerchav, and you answer me with expansiveness. That's like this. That's like the Psalms version of it. But Mitzrayim, then Egypt is a place of constriction. So Ariel is just as Rashi is doing, saying a very basic thing which is when you feel constricted, you can't breathe, but that that was what Egypt was. Not just a place of, um, of slavery and oppression, but there was a, something about just now feel the atmosphere there, you know, that I can't, um, my goodness, I remember teaching, yeah, I remember teaching, well, I, I just thinking of I'll mention I just remember teaching this around um around the George George Floyd tape you know and it's just like I can't breathe I can't breathe you know um it wasn't George Floyd it was um the other guy the guy who was they they yeah there's been a lot <laughs> a lot of folks but um but it, but I can't breathe it was the it, the, the the guy that uh, anyway that atmosphere of like that became a phrase I can't breathe right I think of it be for that reason. I can't breathe was a specific incident of someone who couldn't breathe, but then it became a sort of a way of speaking about the whole atmosphere in the, in the nation. And uh, right? so what was the atmosphere in the nation of Egypt? You know, that kind of constriction. So, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, let's uh, re uh, Regina. Hello. Thank you. I, I'm new today. So thank you. Um, so I've been raising children for about 40 years, um, brothers and sisters, my own children, and my grandchildren now. And so I always think of everything in terms of kids. So when kids are really upset about something and, and they're just having a fit and you want them to listen to you, what you say is calm down, take a deep breath, calm down and listen to me. So that's why you have to calm down in order to listen. You're not going to listen when you're all upset. Good. Wow. Good. Okay. That's beautiful language. Thank you for being here, Regina. It's nice to, nice to have you. And yeah, that's a great, that's a great parallel, a great reference point because it suggests that Regina suggests that um, there's something about breathing. It isn't just that you're having a an un, like when you can't breathe, it's not just that you're having an uncomfortable physical, you know, like pain is is uncomfortable. But breath is something that one um, can try to harness, and we think actually of calming ourselves as you know breathing, just breathe, 
take a breath, you know, and meditative practices are, are often breathing practices. And so it is that when we are not, when we're anxious and anxiety, like there's a, there's, there's a, there's a bewilderment, a kind of confusion because we're just like, I can't even, I can't even feed my body with oxygen. So we speak about it as a, as an emotional distress, but also a kind of mental distress that there's like, I can't think clearly. I can't, I can't see clearly. And I want to, um, I'm going to take the opportunities when I can to drop in some of the commentators that we just saw Rashi. And I want to drop in the commentators when they, when they seem relevant here, um, because I think what the Sforno says, Rabbi Ovadi of Sforno of 15th century Italy um, is a beautiful kind of a comment, um, has a beautiful appreciation for, for language and is always kind of like thinking like, what does it really mean that they were shortness, short, short of, of breath or of spirit? And here's what he says. Here's his definitions. Always very poetic the way he says things. He says, Kotzer um, Ruach, because... This is a very different, this is like a very different take on uh, um, not, not pain, but almost um, confusion. It did not appear believable to their ruach. Okay, so he's reading this a little like, he's bending the words. It was too short for my um, spirit. Okay, it was not believable. It was just too, that was a stretch is, is almost the way he said it. it was the, the idea, in other words, that um that they um that they were out of breath was that they were out of the capacity to believe that this could be and he goes on to say they didn't give they didn't allow themselves to think about it they i i just uh, translated as their mind could not comprehend it hand it but more precisely they did not give their hearts to think about it they couldn't they couldn't think, they couldn't process, they couldn't, they, uh, they couldn't meditate on this. They were not in a meditative state, they were in an, a, an agitated state. And that's a that's a mind thing as, as much as a body thing. Yeah, good, good. Okay, Payam. For me, it's a deep sigh because this is Pharaoh language. To them, it's the language of tyranny and determinism. And so they've been hearing it for so long that they just tuned it out. If you read the language, it's a lot of I will do this and I will do that. It's not you will or so to them, it's just the same language they've always been hearing from people in power. So they just tune it out. They can't hear it. Right, right, right. Okay, good. Yeah, good. Like, yeah. Well, what I'm saying is that it's uh it's this moment of shortness of breath and not being able to hear. Remember what what Moshe's going to say to them, I am Adonai, I am the eternal God, and I have always been throughout, like, and I'm going to save you, like, it's like, and that, they just, they can't process that, or like, are you kidding me? You know, just like backbreaking slave labor all day long, and now they're being asked to sort of process the, this, now, what Payam says is, this is the same old, like, jargon, <laughs> You know, that I've always, they, okay, promises, promises. And that that's, I think, one take on it. And I also hear in that description a kind of, these are, these are like big ideas. These are big ideas. God, oh, God, the infinite is going to come, you know. But I, this, uh, I can't, I can't deal with that right now. Like, I'm just trying to get through the next day. Uh, 
Yeah. Matt. Isn't this the first time that it's been to the people of Israel as opposed to various fellows have God talked to them? And now all of a sudden it's, hey, all of you have God. Mm-hmm. And well, of course they're going to say, what, what is he talking about? Mm-hmm. And right. I think maybe that's actually the purpose of this is to narratively expose well, we talked about God is for individuals, and now we're talking about God is for people, and yeah. now you need to fill yourselves up mm-hmm. with that notion. Mm-hmm. So yeah. This is great. This is what Matt's saying in some ways is a very, I love this reading because it's very clean, and it 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 gets right to the, to the language of the verses, so like sort of shortness of spirit. I think what Matt is saying is that they, they're being asked to expand their horizons, their perspectives. The idea is God is saying, I, Adonai, used to be Abraham's God, Isaac's God. I'm now, I'm all of your God. I'm going, I'm, there's a whole new relationship going on here. And the people cannot take that in. That's incomprehensible. The idea that God will now um, be there for a, a whole people, not just a, a weird mystical experience that one um, you know, one of our forefathers once had in the desert, but whole people, and God will deliver you, and God will, all of this is, it's too much to process. It's just, they they are being asked to widen their spirit, and it's not there yet. Good, good. Very sharp and, and, and I think, like, sensitive reading there. Um, Irene Sandlow. Um, when I read this, it reminded me of this psychological experiment, the boiled frog experiment, if you put a frog in a pot and slowly boil it, it won't jump out. But if you put a frog in a hot boiling pot water, it would jump out. And if and I read in Michael Walter's book, uh, Exodus and Revolution, that uh, slavery didn't happen overnight. It was progressive, slowly. They slowly became more and more enslaved. And then they just came to a point where they couldn't, they were just so tired and so used to it, didn't have the energy to actually jump out like a frog to say, this is actually unacceptable. Yeah. We shouldn't be living like this. We should yeah. find a way out. And so we should hear this call of this potential, you know, solution, a way out. Um, but they were so, they were just barely surviving in their like hot pot of water. They're slowly, barely breathing. And so when they, the call came out, they just couldn't even imagine jumping out. Good, 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 good. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's another, um, I think lovely but also important framework that there's just that there actually maybe is something about the state of demoralization um that they that the that the israelites are in that that any slave people are are in um that is like it the the tragedy of it is that it becomes impossible to see beyond it that one is so one is so so tightly in bondage that it's it's not even really conceivable to see how they would what, what what a different life might look like and there's a certain sense in which you give up hope but you don't even you give up um imagination you know yeah uh, i want to keep dropping in some of these commentators because i think that they are echoing some of the things we're saying here here's some here's um nachmanides who has another version i think not exactly like irene's but another version of sort of like having given up hope um, a, a little bit, a little more, um, an even more sort of um, um, 
cynical, I guess, version. Um, uh, take 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 a look at this is Nachmanides. Uh, take a look at his language here. This is a Spanish medieval commentator. It wasn't because they. So remember, the Sforno said that they couldn't. It wasn't believable. But Nachmanides, who's writing earlier, it's as if he's disagreeing. He says, no, it wasn't because they didn't believe in God and in God's prophet. Rather, they paid no attention to um, his words because of impatience of spirit. And I, I like that's that's the that's one of the common translations because it's used um, in the books of prophets. God is can get um, um, kotzeruach, impatience of spirit. Um, as a person whose soul is crushed on account of his toil and does not want to live another moment in his suffering, even though he knows that he will be relieved later. A person whose soul is crushed on account of his toil and doesn't want to live. Lo lichiot rega He does just don't want to, no more pain. Right? I just, I just, just soon die. I'm done. I have... No, I, I don't. I, I don't want to think about. I don't even want to try to make it to a better state. This is so awful. I cannot live another day. It's like a medieval rabbi describing that human. I mean, the the Nachmanides is great at this. Like his psych, his psychological. I don't know. In, intuitions are so are so strong. But that kind of like, even though I know you're telling me you're going to save me. I can't, I can't, I just kill me now, you know? I mean, that's, yeah, that's depressing. That's, yeah, yeah. Some of the, the breadth of interpretations out there. Let's get a couple more, speaking of breadth, before we close, um, we'll hear from Jen and then Yonatan. Yeah, something about this really rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> um, and I've been trying to, right? <laughs> um, and and it, that last midrash like really sums it up, right? And that is like, give a parallel of like, someone's in an abusive relationship and we say, well, why don't they leave, mm-hmm. right? Why don't they just leave? Um, and we try to explain it through things like, you know, battered wife syndrome and learned helplessness. And those terms, like, it's not that those terms are totally meaningless, but when you ask people, a lot of times what they say is because I left, if I left, I wouldn't have money to pay for housing. Or if I left, the police wouldn't protect me if this person came to try to kill me. Right. Like if we look at it from their perspective, when they when it talks about, they didn't have the spirit, they didn't have, um, they were under heavy labor. These are instructions for what actually needed to be done for them what changes needed to be made for them to be willing to do anything about what was told to them, right? And we're standing back and going, what do these things say about what was wrong with them? As opposed to what do these things say about what was wrong with what was offered to them that prevented them from being able to engage with it at all? Right, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's very... I think we're in this danger all the time, you know, in our current conflicts. And when we read of our historical conflicts are in danger of just sort of uh, stepping outside and speculating, you know, we're doing it in this class. And I think Jen's warning us of that. It's just like, what is it like for people to be in slavery? You know, maybe they should have been more um, broad minded about it. You know, think of the, Think of the theological implications here. You know, it's like this sort of speculative, like this is really the way to, but it's like, what is it like on the inside 
Is it like when you're when you're it's like not a this is not like in a moment to take account. I said it's like there's some some parallel to some of the conversations that people you know sometimes hear about like why didn't they rise up in the Holocaust? You know, like why didn't they fight back? It's like, hmm, probably you don't understand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you probably just don't like that's like be careful before you judge the position of those in 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 conflict and suffering. Right? So yeah, I that's an important important reminder. Um, I think um, yeah, we still have time, Jonathan. Going along with what Jen said, which I totally agree with, um, there's two words we can't just skip over when we interpret not listening, right, or not hearing. They didn't mm. listen to Moses. Not mm. like they didn't listen to anyone, right? Mm -hmm. But like Moses is notoriously not empathetic, right? Mm -hmm. Like the way that he speaks to people is absolutist. He He comes from in this case, a lot of privilege. Um, he was in Pharaoh's house and then he was off the scene for 40 years. And then he decided he would come here and say whatever he wanted. Um, later in Deuteronomy, he says things like, oh yeah, if you just if you just perform all the commandments, none of you will ever be incapable of having children, right? Like he just um, has this vision of the world that is, um, at best, like at the at the tippy top pinnacle of the uh, Maslowian hierarchy, and at the worst, completely delusional. Um, and it's easy to understand um, why people who are living a different reality wouldn't put put stock in him. And I think particularly, like we have to remember that at least if you buy into the tradition, he's the one who who wrote these words, right? So like. Oh, yeah, they didn't listen to Moses because they were short of spirit. I mean, okay. But the, the lesson that Jen puts in for us is uh, a really good one of like, well, what does it take to help people out of a situation like this? Like, uh, uh, what does it take for uh, an abused spouse, for example, to trust that if they try to leave, that the, that the people who are advocating for that will really be there to provide the support that they need. Um, that's like, that's where you can fight against the shortness of breath. Okay. Okay. So this is great. I, this is, first of all, I just wanted to just name what Yonatan is doing so well. And what I think we've all been doing so well over the course of this hour um, uh, with the assistance of, of the commentators, we're doing that kind of work of just really look at let's okay this is a this is a a a, a, a an opaque moment this is like a, a a a strange phrasing let's take every word here and really try to understand what could this mean how do I how do I read it like let's and let's be very careful in our reading that's like um that is how we become interpreters of of the Torah, and um, and I've heard a lot of good sharp interpretations of just like what is this word really doing here? And now I just turn to Yonatan's. I love the emphasis um, that we had not considered yet that what they could not listen to was Moshe. Now Yonatan gave us a whole kind of narrative backdrop for why that why that might be and the role that Moshe plays in their lives. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe Moshe is not, maybe the, the onus is not necessarily on the ones 
<laughs> being communicated to. Maybe the communication was off or maybe the messenger was not the right messenger. And I, you know, I want to just end by saying that um, here it is, God saying, tell them I'm God, tell them I'm God, tell them I'm God. Um, but Moshe tells them, God said, I'm God, right? And that's not good enough. You know, like Yonatan's comments make me think, oh, these people are not going to believe in God until they stand at Mount Sinai. And then God comes down and says, I am God. Now everybody see. Now you, you don't, it's not enough to have someone else tell you about God. This is a really powerful um, like uh, po po possibility here that emerges from Yonatan's in interpretation, I think, which is that they need to be, Abraham had God speaking directly to him. So does Moses. I don't want to hear it from someone else. If you're really real and you're really going to deliver me, I want to feel it. I want you to tell me. I'm not going to hear it through an intermediary. And that's also like a, that's a, that's um because we talked earlier about like the whole nation now being in relationship to, to God. Okay. Well then the whole nation will have to have the experience if they're really going to believe. So more, more, more to come on that in, in the, in the weeks to come. Thanks everybody for a, for a, an illuminating conversation. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that that uh, we keep our classes, you can if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discuss there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next.